0: And my kids go they're like, "Mommy, why do you have your fucking gum in the refrigerator?" I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm like, "No, no,
1: you don't know. You don't understand how
0: well this works." Yeah.
1: It's like, don't judge me. Yeah, yeah. Come on. The... I gave birth to you, all right? <laughs> right. And
0: it was Jillian yet. Yeah. Thirty-two hours. Actually, anytime she pisses me off, Not, and actually. She never really pisses me off.
1: Oh, really? Uh-huh. We we
0: have, we have a really good relationship with, I me, mean, you know, and that's a thing and our adult yeah. kids.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's sad. Like this is the only way I get to know most people is through social media. Yeah. You always take pictures of like you and outings with your kids. You mm-hmm. seem like a very like close family.
0: We are close to the point where when Jillian was a child, she said, she describes us to like her friends as freakishly close Yeah. because I think after getting to know her friends and their families, she started realizing it's like, wow, we're really different from like most people I know. Yeah. And that's one thing I really wanted. Uh, My mom and I were super close and my dad and I weren't because he was such a workaholic and Mm -hmm. we moved a lot. So I learned to be very resilient at a young age because we moved every two to five years. So I became good at, like, packing up my shit and moving to the yeah. next apartment or whatever yeah. And going to a new school for the first time. And throughout all of that time, I really didn't identify that as anxiety-producing behavior, since we're talking about anxiety before. I'm going to have to, like, look at that from a different angle and say, well, was it? I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Um, but. And it was, like, the I, typical
1: thing. Like, what did your dad do for a living?
0: Well, he started out. Well, my grandfather started our family locksmith business in 1926. His parents had come over from Poland, and he was one of, I think, maybe the first child born here of a large Polish Catholic family, like eight, ten kids. I barely knew them because they were all so much. I mean, he was one of the youngest in his family. So we um, he started was a self-taught locksmith. He made tools that are now have been patented. My dad actually got patented for him because my grandpa was like, I'll just make those tools for my friends so they can use my other locksmith friends so they can use them oh so it wasn't even
1: a business it was just he made those it was it was
0: a business but he created tools and invented tools to use for the locksmith business that no one had ever seen before and my dad's like he goes to his dad he goes dad like you know we need to patent this idea like you know this can provide you some security this can give you more money you know because he was completely self taught and he was like oh nobody's gonna want that stuff I'll just make them for my friends so he went, sort of went behind him, he took the tools, went to a patent attorney, got patents on them, and uh, one day just, like, showed up at my grandpa's little lock and key shop and slapped a pile of cash down on the counter. Yeah. And, <laughs> and my grandpa's like, well, what's that for? He goes, you know those tools that you made? Yeah. This is what, this is what I got for them.
1: Really? For the
0: patents. Yeah. It was yeah. amazing. So what my was your dad gr- was looking out, he was looking out for my grandpa. Then he hmm. learned the business. You no. never um, I mean, my brother learned the business, so I was like the girl, so I didn't learn the business. Oh. But honestly, it would have been really cool and very lucrative to be a female locksmith going into companies, kicking ass, taking names. Doing yeah. Security. yeah. But my dad, what my dad started out doing was, um, after you know, helping my grandfather and stuff over all those years, he was in the Korean conflict. And when he came back, he went to college on the GI Bill, okay. went to W&J, which was in um, an all-male school at the time and he got his bachelor's in biology or earth sciences or something and then he went he started teaching and then he got into a management training program at J and L steel and then he went back and got his master's in business or something business related and he was just started like moving up through the management ranks in the steel and large you know manufacturing industry But was very big in the Pittsburgh area in the 60s and 70s and that's why we moved so much but on the weekends and evenings he was always well mostly the weekends he was um helping my grandpa out and then he eventually took over the business yeah and my brother learned it from a young child up but as as often happens you know fathers and sons don't always get along that well in business so my brother my after my parents divorced and my brother graduated from high school he moved down to virginia started taking classes at george mason university got a job there working like um, in maintenance, but like doing like lockouts, people got locked out of buildings or rooms or whatever. Your brother? Started, my brother. Yeah. Started using it. Then he bought out a guy that was going out of business and he's just built this really nice business for himself where he does um, federal <clears throat> contracts and corporate stuff. It's all like high tech security stuff. Like if somebody important leaves the company, they got to whoosh in and change all of the locks and they, yeah. they do. all. So it's like, it's gone from a little lock and key shop <laughs> in the In the twenties and thirties, and also my dad and my grandpa doing like bank vaults and serious gigantic you know uh, you know things that you couldn't even move. you'd have to yeah. like hire a crane to move them you know some, you know, some of these things that they had and yeah um, you know to becoming more and more high tech as the business changed Wow
1: so. I mean like oh by the way, I'm talking to Tracy Steele.
0: Oh hey! Hey. I'm, hey! I'm so happy you agreed also to do. Also known as Silica Flint babies.
1: Silica Flint. I've seen her live. I think I've seen her Silica Flint live a couple times.
0: Yeah, Silica Flint is alive in me. Yeah. She's 80 now. Really? I don't know if you knew that she's 80. No, I didn't.
1: I never knew Silica Flint's history. Well,
0: it's because because you know she's been around so long, Alex. She's. I mean, <laughs> she's actually the age my mother would be. So she's kind of. Making her eighty is kind of a tribute to my mother because hmm. it also allowed me to take her back to um, to different points in pop music and our cultural history because I feel yeah. like it, the older I can make her, the more material I have to work on oh her. yeah so S- silica's backstory is. You know, she's eighty, so she kind of came up in the fifties and sixties as like I'm, I I don't never <clears throat> actually told anybody where she started, so I'll just make something up now, like, okay, so she was a background singer and she was a groupie. Yeah. And for sure <laughs> she was a groupie and she pretty much fucked everybody from every band, no oh, yeah. from the fifties on. She was just obsessed with sex, still is. Uh, but became very, very famous. She would be kind of like kind of like a share or <laughs> yeah. someone like that. Always tried to stay relevant. Um, but she's 80 now and she looks much younger because she has so much money. She can hire the really good plastic surgeon and have all of the nips and tucks and things like that. But now that she's just uh, finished her, um, third farewell annual, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me, third international farewell tour (laughs) in the last year and her last CD dropped a couple of August ago. Now she's working on a memoir, but she's been performing and then she'll, She'll do her silica thing, which is to um, share a memoir, um, which is ostensibly a comedy monologue. I went and I changed it recently from storytelling to comedy because I started doing some stand-up. And I'm like, I need, this needs to be more jokes and less history talk stuff it needs to be funnier like I need to like hit it so I've been changing the monologues to make them more you know land the joke land the joke land the joke like get to it quicker and not make it so much storytelling so she does a monologue about somebody she screwed or some crazy thing that happened in her life or some drug addled like trippy experience with you know 4,000 other people or whatever something crazy and then she either sings a song by that band or something related to that subject matter and usually she's attired in something that connects the theme so she's got like wigs and corsets and leather and whips and lots of boots and metal studs stuff like that she started out being very um a glittery gowny you know like very form fitting, glittery gowny with the wigs and all the other stuff. I'm like, Silica Flint is not a gown person. She is a rocker chick. Yeah. And she's so she had her wardrobe had to change. And it really, changing that also made her like more authentically me at the same time, if that makes any sense. Because Silica yeah. is kind of like me, like to the, you know, 10th degree on triple steroids. <laughs> no?
1: Like, she's you to the extreme.
0: Yes, and she, she's kind of who I want to be, honestly. She's an EGOT Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, oh, and Tony winner. Yeah. She's won, you know, the... The, uh, the What are the slime awards when you get slimed? The, oh, the, Kids, the, the kids <laughs> Choice Awards. She's, she has no shame. She's, she doesn't care about getting slimed. Yeah. Um, she has gold globes in more ways than one. She is... She's done it all. She's won it all. She's done everyone and everything. And she (laughs) loves to talk about it because she is so completely excited about life and completely full of herself and her ego. But she loves people. So she talks to people and she engages with people and she gets to know people. And she really is full of herself, but like truly loves her fans and the people that she surrounds herself with. So it's kind of like this exhibitionistic... um, like true love and joy for other people at the same time, which does those things don't go together in real life
1: yeah often the true love and joy thing or? well
0: what I'm thinking is like somebody who is really full of themselves, like a narcissistic per- person with a narcissistic personality disorder or a histrionic yeah. personality disorder, yeah. I, and we probably know a couple cheeto headed ones that might be existing in our culture right I know now. know who you're I, talking and, about, yeah. And guess what? They're everywhere. <laughs> They're people, everywhere, so yeah. Once you learn how to recognize one, just get the fuck away. Yeah. Anyway, um, so the difference between Silica and a person with um, a narcissistic personality is that <clears throat> she is honestly proud of who she is and what she does, and she's being authentically herself. And part of that is being proud of who she is, and expressing that pride and self-love, which I think we all want to get to the point where we can truly love and appreciate ourselves and not doubt every goddamn thing we do. Yeah. Or question, like, did I just say the right thing? Am I not invited to this party? Like, oh, what, yeah. like what's happening? Like, why did didn't I... that
1: person, like, uh, like respond to me? Or you Yeah. Know? Yeah. Or I...
0: why do they have that look on their face? Did I say something to offend? Like, yeah. what did I do? Are they do? talking about me? Yeah. <laughs> well, if they're talking about me, I'm like... Yes, talk
1: more mm, now. Talk more about, yeah. No, but I know that feeling.
0: It's, it's, so it, it's kind of like, um, it's, it's like true self-love plus this sort of like joy and abundance that she wants to give out. Yeah. But it comes across as like, wow, that woman is really mm. egotistical. <laughs> yeah. But it's sort of not from a person, it's not from a diagnosis perspective. It's more from a, you know, she's lived it. She's been through it. She, she still gets so much joy out of life. Yeah. And she's just, I don't know. She's just silica. Wow. And completely unapologetic about it, which is, I think what makes silica silica. Yeah. Cause Tracy apologizes for fucking everything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just, did I just hurt your feelings? I'm, I'm so, so sorry. sorry.
1: Oh yeah. What,
0: what can I do to make it better? <laughs> when I said that thing, did you feel like this or did you feel like that? I'm really sorry. I'm that. sorry.
1: I'm, yeah. Like it starts to be like, sorry is like one of your top words you use. Probably yeah. like, no, I'm the, I'm exactly the same way. Like, There's so many times I've said sorry to somebody. It's always usually like small stuff where I go like, wait a minute, I didn't do anything. (laughs) Like I, It's just like with like the smallest things. It's always like at work too Mm or like, you know, like I just want to do my job and then just get out of there. And I'm just like, why am I apologizing for so much stuff at work? Because sometimes work can be very annoying. I mean, like. I was talking to my mom. Uh, She was telling me some stuff about it. Like she's going through like anything you walk into, there's always going to be like people splitting into groups and talking shit on other people. And then like, uh, and then that can just be very hectic. And then like, you know, sometimes work is uh, like with what we're talking about, like being proud of who you are. And then there's gonna be always be like the crabby people at work who like hate everything or like
0: they hate everybody. They're miserable. They take everything personally. They I,
1: oh yeah, and they like, they're like no one's smart like them. You're like you know they're all stupid. Yeah. yeah. And then like that can like put you down. And then like I've just noticed this. Like sometimes it's like working a job can be hard because like sometimes it's just a routine. Like you're there every day, five days a week. And like, I love what you're talking about with like the self love and being yeah. proud of who you are. But sometimes I can be hard. Oh, I'm, like...
0: I'm very hard on myself too at times, yeah. and then I have to remind myself. It's like, it's you know, silt. Sorry, I keep whacking my my lips shape. I, I noticed that. See right now, it looks like a pair of red lips.
1: Yeah, very dark red.
0: Dark red lips, and they're they're like they're like my lips, but like miniature. So if I went like this, I put them <laughs> in my mouth. Mm. They would look like that, and I'm sorry, you people who are hearing this can't see it. Can't this, see it. But, you know, you'll just have to catch me sometime when I'm wearing this ring.
1: <laughs> and she has a t-shirt with lips on it. Yes. Yeah.
0: And I'm wearing one of my pride necklaces, and I'm wearing my most comfortable pride shoes ever. Ooh,
1: look at that! I'm look at that going color.
0: The shit out of today.
1: Yeah. How and, long have you been? Um, have you always uh, like? When did you come out as a...
0: A queer, I, I identify myself as a queer woman.
1: A queer woman. Uh, is it bi or is it just queer? Or... Well,
0: I feel like it kind of encompasses everything that I am. So, so I'm not hedging and asking the question. It's more that... Okay, I'm going to try to explain this quickly because we for a listening audience. Yeah. So during the time I was growing up, uh, I was attracted to boys from an early age and I was also socialized to be to look a certain way to act a certain way to behave a certain way to be conciliatory and sweet and pleasant and all of these other things that um, sometimes came naturally to me sometimes didn't because I would just as soon tell somebody to fuck off as, <laughs> as you're really great man I love you but <laughs> at, or and I'm trying to remove the word "but" from my voc- vocabulary, so I'll probably screw that up a few more times. At, so during that time period, I actually had my grandmother's, um, like her, her bosses, she worked for a real estate o- office at the time, and I would visit her on the weekends until she got off work at noon, and then we would go do stuff together. So when I was graduating from high school and I was getting ready to go to college, um, her boss, who was the owner of the real estate company, and a couple of his old guy friends were hanging around. They were all close to retirement age. And they were like, hey, Tracy, we're well, going to college. And I'm like, yes, yeah, so I'm getting ready to start in the fall. And they go, "They they said, well, what are you going to be, a teacher or a nurse? Oh. Like, okay, so people, this was 1977, so <laughs> we've come a long way, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, wow. well, you know what? I'm actually not going to be either one of those things. I can't think of anything worse. Like, oh, those yeah. are two jobs I would never, ever want. So, and those
1: are, like, very, like, noble jobs. But just to, like...
0: They pin are. Pin that
1: down to, like, somebody like... So you're obviously going to be one of these two things. Right.
0: But Because that's all they thought women could do at that point. Yeah. And if you didn't go to college, you were going to be a secretary or a bookkeeper or a something. Yeah. But anyway, So getting back to your original question i I was socialized in a time when it was okay to be gay but you you couldn't be you couldn't be more than one thing at a time you had to be straight or you had to be gay and I was also brought up to think I and well we all were and still are in a really kind of sick way females were brought up to believe that we were supposed to be competing with other females either for male attention or for any attention or for you know fill in the blank yeah so i felt like i couldn't even allow myself the the uh opportunity to even really think about who i really was and what i really was and i realized as i got older i have a lot of really close women friends. And I always have. It's like the sisterhood. And my mother taught me that because my mother was an awesome human being, an incredible friend and mother. And all of my friends would come to our house after school to talk to my mom about their problems because they couldn't talk to their own moms. And I was raised by this awesome second wave feminist who was the most loving spirit on earth, the least judgmental person I've ever known. And at some point it occurred to me, wait a second, this isn't how I was raised. I don't need to compete with other women. I love other women. They're my sisters. They're my friends. They're the people that like get me through shit. Yeah. And then once I started like allowing myself the space to kind of let myself feel things I was feeling, I'm like, wow, that woman is really fucking hot. And I started realizing <laughs> like, Hey, not only am I, I mean, cause I was absolute batshit boy, crazy. To the yeah. point where in college, I had what I called the Tracy's revolving door. So I would have at <laughs> least, I'd be dating at least four guys at the same time. And there was always one coming in and on one, one was uh-huh. on the way out. And then in bet- I would have this crazy dating or sometimes hooking up in between like long, monogamous, serious relationships. So I'd, after a breakup, be like, well, I'm going to get my groove on for a while and have some yeah. fun and it was the 70s, which was absolutely the best time to be born. And this is something that Silica has said. And, and I say it, too, because it's absolutely true. When I was in um, through high school and college and my early adulthood, the pill had been invented and had been approved for use like in 1973. The birth and control had, pill or the birth control pill. Okay. So by the time I was in high school, it had been tested. The FDA had approved it. It was out so and it had and it, people had been using it for a while and it was deemed to be safe so it's like when i became sexually active it's like I'm, my mom says let's go get you the pill so we get the pill oh really and there were at that time no diseases that would kill you like <laughs> aids there were no diseases that would could seriously screw you up like um like herpes and like um some of the, well we don't need to run through the list of STDs. But suffice <laughs> yeah. to say, the sexual revolution happened. I mean, it might have started with the Summer of Love in like 1967, the year my husband graduated from high school. Oh. <laughs> and, and that so by the time I graduated from high school in 1977, yeah. I mean, it was full on, you know, like, go for it. Yeah. You've got the pill. You've got condoms. You're not going to – like, you can let your freak flag fly and just learn – who you are and what you are sexually and what you want. And then by the time you settle down, you can be like, okay, yeah, I did that. I'm really ready to commit to somebody now. You know? So it was one of those processes of coming out that just sort of, it was a long time kind of realization and understanding. And I still feel like at 60, which I turned on August 30th, that I... I'm still evolving and changing all the time. It's like, we never, we never like grow up and then stay there. It's like everything changes all the time. And at this point in my life, I feel the best I have ever felt, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. I could feel better physically because I had cancer last year and I have yeah. this extended radiation fatigue that's just made me nuts because I'm such a high energy, get a bunch of shit done kind of person. So it's yeah. really slowed me down, which has been very hard for me to accept. However, I'm doing it and having more time off and working less clinical days does help because I get the opportunity to recover um, because I've taken a bunch of time off of performing. I just did a silica yeah. show a couple of weeks ago, but I haven't done any stand up and I haven't done any other, you know, yeah. uh, other really performing stuff other than well, singing in church.
1: What kind of... Um cancer did you get what what were you diagnosed with well i'm
0: special so i had to have a really special cancer (laughs) and it's called mixofibrosarcoma. mixo because it was it's a mix of different connective tissues and all it's mixed up of all kinds of stuff i had this weird lump on the back of my left knee and i was like this is weird i thought it was a cyst yeah i thought well want to go in and see my doctor next I'll have to take a look at it and I was having my gallbladder out because I had this gallbladder full of gallstones but they weren't bothering me but I wanted to make sure I got them out while I still had good insurance because my husband was still teaching um, yeah so I planned it for the winter when people wouldn't be coming to counseling because it was cold and miserable and they weren't going to want to get you know they weren't they were going to want to stay home when they needed to with their kids or yeah for whatever transportation weather type reasons I thought I'll just do it during a schedule it during a downtime get it done and then I didn't have to worry about it. So when I was doing my pre-op testing, I went to my doctor and, and I said, oh, I also have this weird lump I wanted you to look at. He goes, okay, call up the surgeon, see if he'll do, give you a twofer, because you really need to have that out, whatever it is. And I'm yeah. like, okay. And the other thing was, from the time I noticed it in November to the time I had my testing in early January, it got grew really fast. Yeah. And, it was, and I knew it was going to be cancer. Like I just, my, I'm very tuned in with my... My inner, my inner truth, my soul, my spirit, yeah. whatever you want to call it, whatever you believe in, whatever it is that my inner, you know, knowledge, self, like was yeah. telling
1: you, like you knew, I mean, were you fucking like freaking out during that? No, I mean, really? It, like
0: while I was growing, I'm like, this is weird. This probably isn't good. And then it occurred to me, I'm like, mm, I'm pretty sure this is cancer. But at the same time, my inner wisdom is telling me it's going to be okay. Yeah. And it was. So, I go to the surgeon, who was one of the most beautiful men I've ever seen in my life. Dr. (laughs) Ariel Abilé, everyone. Yeah. Works with the Allegheny Health System. Wish I still had that kind of insurance. A beautiful, beautiful Spanish man with an accent who holds your hand, looks into your eyes, and tells you all of the things you need to know, including it's going to be okay. Yeah. But gives you all the correct information as well. Yeah. And I'm like, Wow can I have something else taken out because <laughs> you're so pretty? Yeah. So I made my daughter go to a follow-up appointment with me just to prove how attractive he was. She was like, Holy shit. Do you think he's single? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I have no idea of knowing anyway. Um, yeah. So I had surgery in January and after I was all healed up, I had six weeks of radiation treatment, five, five days a week for six weeks, yeah. 30 weeks. no, Thirty, blah, thirty treatments, and so I got up extra early, went for my treatment, drove out to my uh, office, which I had at the time in Murraysville, PA, which is about thirty minutes east, and I also had opened an office in the Point Breeze neighborhood of Pittsburgh, where I was like one day a week. I was kind of growing, you know, growing that. What office was that? It's in Point Breeze, Point Breeze neighborhood, and so I was. That office was new then. I was just sort of growing my, um, the counseling um, practice there. So I, just going through radiation just exhausted me because yeah. I was, had such long days. And then I would drive home from Murraysville just like fried. Um, and then after radiation was over, I felt better for about a week. And then I developed the sinus infection and bronchitis from hell, which I had for five months. It took two Z-packs a doxycycline prescription which made me feel really sick and then i was on steroids for a couple of weeks which made me feel like all of my innards were vibrating from the inside out it was like the wor- it was like having a the worst panic attack you ever had 24 7 Jesus. so i would actually ask people like am i vibrating do i look weird what do my eyes look like are they like <laughs> zipping back and forth like yeah. what are my pupils what did, pe-
1: what did people say they, they were to, like, like
0: no you actually look fine i'd have no idea they well, i'm like because I'm having a really hard time right now. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like your insides
1: felt like they were shaking. Everything.
0: everything like all of my organs, like my eyeballs felt like they were jiggling in their sockets. And, so yeah. well.
1: and what goes on in radiation therapy? Because my brother used to work at a hospital and I feel like that was kind of the part that he worked in. what, like, uh, I immediately forget how he explained it to me, but, like, how does radiation therapy work? Like, what goes on? What happens?
0: Well, I learned a lot about this from when my mother had cancer. She was sick for a very long time, and unfortunately I had a lot of family members with a lot of serious illnesses, so I've sort of been down the medical road a bunch of times, but this was the first time I'd had something that serious myself. Um, So what they do is, it's very scientific um, and very... um, specific like where they actually have the radiation beam or beams going into so they take all of these measurements they measure like your the scar area where the tumor was um, and they it's very very specific they have you um, for me I had to lie on my stomach on the thing because it was on the back of my knee oh. so they would put these little tape things on there and then after a while, they kept falling off. So they gave me these little, like, tattoos, which were just, like, <laughs> a dot of black, like, three little black dots that showed them, like, the radiation is supposed to be contained within this area, this, like, triangular area. Yeah. Oh. And they gave me a super, super heavy-duty dose because it was such a fast-growing cancer. Yeah. And that was really the only real, sorry, the only real... Um, bad thing about it was how fast-growing it was yeah um so as my new surgeon because i had a recurrence last year but it wasn't cancer but it looked like a duck and it quacked like a duck but it was not a myxofibrosarcoma as it turns out it was just some weird ass lump that came in the exact same place and at the same presentation on the back of my left knee as the actual cancer did so that was taken out and it was benign so yay because i thought at the time I haven't recovered from this first bout of radiation treatment and it radiation treatment had been over for six months by the time i had that second lump yeah and i thought shit, what if i have to go through it again it's like am i gonna have to, uh, I, mean, I i was afraid i was gonna have to like seriously scale back my practice yeah And i love my work so i'm a licensed professional counselor i'm a board certified counselor i am a uh board certified telemental health co- counselor which means when insurance companies start paying for it i can do all the virtual stuff you know, yep. including going into a therapeutic um, video game kind of world, creating really? an avatar with my client and joining in this virtual world and doing counseling like through this experiential video game stuff, which I think would be super cool if anybody will ever pay me to do it. <laughs> so you've never done it before. Um, well, I've done some, you know, phone counseling, you know, yeah. s- not Skype, but like, like a, uh, you know, things not face to face. But because of my uh, ethical guidelines and the fact that I take my ethics as a counselor super seriously, I try to like do things more ethical than they even want us to because yeah. I, that is so important to me to maintain somebody's confidentiality and be an ethical practitioner. So I'm not going to um, do something that I feel like is the wrong thing for that person to do at that time yeah. or is just wrong, period. So... Um, I totally forget where I was going with. Oh, my specialty. My specialties are um, women's uh, women's issues, like, as women go through the lifespan and dealing with all sorts of stuff. There's lots of transitions that um, that are really hard, and I feel like, well, I've been through most of those. And the older I get, the better I feel I can do that. And life transitions in general, like people like mourning, grieving a loss, losing a job, losing a parent, losing a child. Um, breaking up a relationship all of the normal stuff that we go through but that we often need a little extra help in dealing with because at some point our friends are like I know and I care about you but I just can't hear this anymore and (laughs) and the other people close to us might also be grieving or might also be going through something so it's like that's when it's great to have like a third person or a neutral party I should say so I'm not talking about marriage counseling or relationship counseling right now but having that third impartial party that's impartial to the point that like they get to know you and get to know who you are and your world and how you understand things and how you perceive things and what you've been through and they're there we're there just for you yeah just for you not for anybody else in your family not to fix anything else in the world but just to support you in whatever you're going through and maybe give you some some techniques that will help you, give you some hints. And for me, this is my second career, second major career. Um, My first career was in film and video production. Really? Um, Yeah, which was really super fucking cool, and it was really fun. Yeah. Um, And so what was so great about it was... um, When did you do that stuff? Well, I did that, like, my last semester of college... I was completely without focus and no idea where I was going to work, yeah. what I was going to do. I had a communications degree, oh. <laughs> and about 150 credits that didn't belong in any particular major because I transferred and changed majors. I went to WJ, transferred to Duquesne, graduated from there. And um, my advisor said, "Well, why did not you get an in- try to get an internship at this place called Warner Cable, which is like the first- when cable TV first came." to Pittsburgh yeah. or was invented, which shows you like how old 60 is. It's really fucking old, but yeah. I look awesome and I feel yeah. awesome. So I don't, I really don't give a shit. I want everybody to know I'm 60. <laughs> please buy me drinks. <laughs> Gifts are always appreciated. Yes. Come over and hang out. Give me a hug. Tell me how awesome I am. <laughs> uh, I'm all for that. Um, and so uh, being completely directionless after changing, after like, you know, going to college forever and having a gazillion dollars debt in that time. Oh, yeah. Having the job market be really, really tight because we were in the middle of a recession, kind of like what happened in 2008 where like everything went away. There were no jobs, kids were moving back home after college. Nobody could get a job. It was a very similar situation. So I went to Warner Cable. I met with this contact that my advisor had. She gave me the internship. And in the meantime, my advisor had said, "Well, stop by the TV production studio on campus, get to know the people, get to know like what they do and how they do it, and maybe they can like, give you some information so that you don't totally like you know, fall on your face during an interview." Yeah. Well that didn't happen because what happened was I went to the TV production studio, I met the guy who ran the studio, his friend who had just graduated and was working on some, using the school equipment to edit this project he was doing. And the, the TV, the, excuse me, the production studios, student aid slash intern. And I hit it off with the three of them so hard yeah. <laughs> that we never talked about anything that was relevant to the interview I was going to go on. And because I've always been good on my feet and I'm a very verbal person and all of that kind of stuff. I just, I'm really good at interviewing. So I just like blasted through the interview and I honestly don't think it was that hard of a thing to get anyway. So I'm not, I'm not that special, but I got the interview. Damn it, I said butt again. Um, got the <laughs> job. And then I started hanging around with these three awesome people. So it was two yeah. guys. And, and the, stu- the student aide was female. Me, she's a little bit younger than I am. And the four of us started going to happy hour on Fridays after we were all done with school stuff. Yeah. So we would start, I'm not even sure what time it was, like late afternoon. We'd go to a bar. We'd like bar hop for a while. And then we would stop somewhere and have a nice meal, have a nice dinner. And then we would bar hop some more. And we'd end up at a club and be dancing all night. And then after that, we'd either go to an after-hours club and keep dancing and drinking. And or we would go out for breakfast and have this gigantic breakfast at like 3 o'clock in the morning. And Uh, usually I'm driving home as the sun's coming up. No, we didn't do, we didn't play that hard every single weekend. But the four of us got along so well. And there wasn't any dating. It was just... We were friendship just, it yeah. was just fun yeah and it was like I said it was like that time period where there was no it was okay it was it was what everybody wanted to be doing yeah so um, one of those people the student intern is like one of my still one of my best friends and after a long break of raising children and living in different parts of the country and things like that. We were recently reunited, and she was the one that I used to go clubbing with all the time. So, like, we, we were at this in-bed-by-10 dance party at Spirit last night. Woo! It was fantastic with a couple hundred other people. It was wonderful.
1: <laughs> um, I've heard about those. Those seem like a lot of fun.
0: Oh, it's really fun. Yeah. Oh. It is a very, very chill atmosphere. Uh, there were, there were like, young, uh, you know, queer couples. There were young possibly be like, you know, you can't really tell, you know, like it's not my job to decide what somebody else's inner experience of their gender identity or sexual orientation is. So I'm not trying to be that somebody that can just judge that by looking at them because nobody can, but there were what appeared to be some like, so much, much older lesbian couples wearing tie dye shirts and dancing close together. They look like they've been together a million years. Yeah. There was this (laughs) wide range of like young, fun, energetic people, dancing like maniacs and very very much older people just like chill into the 60s and 70s music and drinking and eating pizza and there was everything in between and it was one of the most like like there I go with my like thing I probably say that too much too it's a very welcoming chill loving fun 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 experience so I hope every time I go it's like that but I'm going every month now
1: Oh really? Spirit, you're like, you're shout out to Spirit. <laughs> yeah, I've always wanted to go to that. It seems oh, like it's really fun. My speed, that'd be awesome it's, to go. It's yeah,
0: definitely my speed. Because you know, with the with the radiation stuff, it's like I can't do that. Are you still doing radiation? At five till no, I just had those thirty treatments, but I've yep. not recovered from the fatigue that that it caused. Oh yeah. So and I think part of it was I got blasted a super super heavy dosage because of the quick, the how quick the tumor had been growing. Um, and I'm not sure what else, but what I've found out since that all went down is that there's a certain percentage of people, and I don't know what it is because the medical community is gaslighting me and nobody can actually tell you, uh, but there's a certain um, percentage of people who do not bounce back from radiation and or chemo. Yeah. They're, and when you think about it, it's like you put all that crazy shit into your body, of course there are going to be some people that have you know, long lasting effects from it. So my life since that happened has been, you know, grateful that I didn't freak out about it. Uh, Grateful for the incredible like medical team I had, because while I was at Hillman, it's like I was starting dance parties in the elevators with staff members. I was like just saying stupid jokes to people, just trying to make people laugh because they have such serious jobs and they see so much, sadness and illness and death and I'm like you know what my mission while I'm going through radiation or through anything is I'm going to try to make a connection with every person that I speak to and I'm going to smile and you know say something cheerful to them and greet them and make eye contact and with every human being I cross I'm going to try to make their day a little bit better because I get I double the joy back yeah. When I do that, so while I was going through treatment, it was like, it's my mission to go in and do something that's gonna just send out some love, or do something stupid and funny and like do all the dumbass improv things, <laughs> and all the you know yeah. all the comedy shit and s- stuff I did even before I got into doing comedy. Yeah, because I am not the best improviser at all. In fact, I'm an extraordinarily mediocre improviser. If I had kept going at it. I think I had a chance of being really good at some parts of it. Yeah. Um, and I loved musical improv. That was the most fun, out on a ledge, crazy. It's like I absolutely adored it. But there was something about me that was holding me back from just throwing myself into it. And I know I,
1: completely what you mean.
0: And I just didn't do it long enough in order to get that good at it.
1: What do you think stopped you from like, going full out?
0: well i I could tell you exactly what happened was I discovered that my dad who um was, had been kind of living like a hermit like existence to a certain degree I mean he still ran his business, yeah, and so he, he's a very social person, but his joy was to build this beautiful home that looked like a like a ski chateau in Switzerland with all glass and 16-foot beamed cathedral ceiling and you know buy this piece of property in Washington County design and build his own home Make it exactly what he wanted put it there and live there in nature surrounded by nature no cartons needed It was yeah, you know, so I lived there in high school until I because it wasn't completed until I was about to start 10th grade yeah. so uh, after my parents divorced my brother and I moved out there with uh, my dad and he did get married again and he divorced again and he always had lady friends even in the yeah. uh, even in the dementia facility where he lives now he's had lady friends. The man is never without a woman. Mm, yeah. <laughs> he's just maybe that's where I get it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I've ne- but I I have never ever been unfaithful to a partner ever. Yeah. <laughs> so, just putting that out there. Oh, and that course, was not yeah. I cannot say that for my dad, but you know, he's a he's an interesting person. There's a lot to say about him which is not the time to say it however in july no i'm sorry november of 2015 i called or maybe october i called my dad to invite him to thanksgiving dinner because he was become so hermit-like between his girlfriends his business and living out in the country with his pets that like he really never had much to do with us i only saw him like four times a year which was painful, but like I I figured out how to deal with it. I got to a point with him where I was so frustrated and hurt and angry, and I said, well, I can either cut him out of my life completely and deal with the reality of that, or I can lower my expectations and take what he's able, able to offer and just appreciate what he is able to give me, and that's the choice I made. So I only saw my dad about four times a year, but I did talk to him in between. He wasn't really much of my... A part of my kids' lives, which made me really sad too, because he was a really fun dad when I was really little. Yeah. Um, and after that he just worked, 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 worked. Um, but I called him on that day to invite him, and all three of his phones were shut off. His cell phone, his work phone, and his home phone were all shut down for lack of payment. Um, so I got in my car, and I drove about 90 miles an hour to Washington, PA. Well, first I stopped in Cannonsburg, where his company used to be looked for him there, asked around if anybody had seen him, left there, drove the rest of the way to Washington, watching the oncoming traffic on 79 to make sure he wasn't passing me in his giant blue 40 line van, yeah. which was very visible. So I'm like trying to dra- drive and like look where I'm going and see if he's coming the other way and I'm, I'm missing him. Yeah. Get out to his house, can't find him, um, real really upset, because his van is there so I know he's in there and his little dogs are coming to the door when I go up to the door and but, and but then they just calm themselves back down and I'm thinking like he's in there and he must be okay because the dogs aren't upset. Yeah. Which made me think like he's avoiding me.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And honestly that wasn't what it was. I think he was at the point where his dementia and Alzheimer's had progressed so much that he did not Safely take his medication, and he might have like overdone it on one of his migraine pills, and was taking like a coma nap. Oh, really? That's what I so. That's what I think really happened.
1: You didn't go in there and check.
0: I didn't have a um, like his current house key because being a locksmith, he had like keys hidden all over the place. But you would have to know all the codes to find them. Yeah, and he would be changing them all the time because like where where he lived was so remote that if you weren't there. People could easily just go up the driveway not be seen by anybody and ransack the house because that happened twice when I was in high school so Uh he had reason to be you know a concerned locksmith and homeowner so I found out um, so anyway that's the conclusion I came to but I was able to find him the next day right away and visit him and see how he was doing and I could see how he could hold it together for about 30 minutes until he would start to repeat himself or start sort of staring off into space. And I'm like, okay, my mental health training and my my clinical license tell me that there is some sort of n- neurological dementia, some sort of thing going on here. Yeah. Especially when I saw the state of his house, the state of his building. So... Was it very, t-
1: like, broken down or...
0: No, it was, like, the, the the outside of the house was perfect, except for, like, the grass needed to be cut or something like that. It just looked a little, like... Some painting needed to be done. But inside, it was like he never actually threw any garbage away. And it was like he didn't even notice it was there. Like he didn't even see it. Hmm. The house looked and smelled horrible. His business was the same, but his company was the same. But he was like maintaining his routine of like getting up, getting breakfast, feeding the dogs, taking a shower, driving to work in his gigantic van. 20 minutes to Cannonsburg, opening his office, checking the mail, returning phone calls, doing little jobs here and there. Yeah. Wrapping it up by mid-afternoon, picking up something for dinner, taking the dogs home, watching TV, going to bed, repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. So he didn't know that he was declining because he didn't have enough regular contact with other humans to be able to know, and I know that there were people that noticed kn- knew that there were things going on with him because they would call me and tell me that there' had been an art Smith sighting and uh, <laughs> and i 'm like, "What did he look like? What was he wearing? Was he disheveled? was he this? was he that and um, but anyway, ha- what this has to do with uh, improv is that that November when I found out how sick he was, like I just like went into like hyper organizational speed it 's like I've got to get him help. Okay, where do I start? So because of my previous career in film and video production, I was a producer and I did all the casting and budgets and I was the primary client contact, which gave me a lot of counseling skills, let me tell you. You've got a pissed off client and I'm the one whose job it is to talk them down and not fire us because my boss was an asshole. Um, I've learned a lot about, you know conflict resolution and a whole bunch of other counseling skills put that communications degree to to good use so I went into hyperspeed trying to help my dad and it made me extremely stressed out so within three months I was so freaked out and anxious about him that I was starting to experience chest pains and I wasn't sleeping at all and I was incredibly anxious all the time having a very hard time concentrating because I would put like all of my concentration and all of my energy into my work with my clients because being a counselor is clearly what the universe called me to do it's like I am happier doing this work than I've ever been
1: doing anything anything yeah
0: because to me and this is something I just found out in my 60th year before I turned 60 that the one thing I value more than anything else in the world is relationships with other people whether they're short or long or passing somebody in a hallway, it's like connecting with other human beings is the absolute thing that drives me. And so the privilege of being able to hear someone's worst, most horrible experiences and help them recover and see them get better and help them get their confidence back and feel physically better and emotionally and spiritually and psychologically better just gives me so much joy. And I love to travel that path with them yeah, and because of my first career, I knew I was a good, I was a really good project manager. It's like I could, you know. So I ended up being the captain of my musical improv team, and nobody else really wanted to do it. And I thought, like, well, well, shit, I can do this stuff in yeah. my sleep. So I started doing it, but I noticed that I was doing that. It was it was taking some of the joy of improv away from me because I was always worried about, you know, like getting us booked at something or transportation or rehearsals and coaches and you have to have a musical coach um a, a musician to play the music play the music and they have to have like a regular coach and you have to have regular practices and you have to be working on your vocal a vocalizing and you have to work it working on your improv and there were so many components to it and you know all of those things you have to pay for so like and you know the other team members helped, but I just felt like I'm the captain of this team. it's my responsibility wow. And in retrospect, I think project managing aka being the captain of that of that team, is what killed the joy of improv for me and kept me from, and, and kept me from progressing in it because when it stops being fun and joyful and spontaneous and it starts feeling like a job because you 've got all this shit in the back of your head, yeah. you have to do that's like I have to stop this and so I I pulled the plug on that in maybe June or July of 2016 so discovering my dad was sick in November of 2015 and going through this whole time try just trying to find a safe place for him to live get him like become his guardian become his power of attorney take over all of his money accounts pay all of his bills get everything like there was so much involved in that and I'm the boots on the ground person because my brother's in Virginia and he's very, very supportive and he did absolutely everything he could. Yeah to help our dad and to help me help him, including taking all of it because they're in the same business, taking all of his equipment and figuring out like what it's worth and who we can sell it to and you know, getting as much money for all of his stuff as we could, because all of my dad's money was locked up in his property. Yeah. So he really couldn't afford to be in the place that we were placing him in we were very close to the edge he ran out of money like three times like he was within like a month of completely running out of money three times before i finally got his finances stable enough yeah to um you know to feel secure about about him and just getting him to a safe place that was right for him because he was still fairly social um and so Picking the right place for him at the right time where he would have a good quality of life was the most important thing. Oh, yeah. And so he ended up being in Greensburg, which is so far that like now, I mean, I see him more than I did when it was b- both ways. Yeah. And now that he's in the Dementia helm, um, I actually see him more. And th- so this is me doing my Tracy thing, which is like looking for the silver lining, finding the the blessing or the joy in every tragedy, and that is, in many respects, my dad getting Alzheimer's took his hard edges off of him, and mm. now I have the dad back that I always wanted my whole life back from the time I was a small child, yeah. and he was super loving and sweet and fun to play with and made up songs and stories and rode me on his back, and he was the big jungle tiger taking me through the, through the... <laughs> The whatever, wherever, the jungle or whatever. Yeah. And and had not seen for such a long time. And I'm not sure what turned him into such an angry person. But when. Would he like
1: snap a lot when you were a kid? Like when he was like Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. He was scary as shit.
1: Like, would it just be an angry thing? He would just like flip out at just random times.
0: Yes. And it would be over the really dumb things and the really big things that would happen he'd be like oh it'll be fine we'll work that out and you'd be like oh thank god but he was so he wasn't abusive to me although he was abusive to others including my mom and my brother Um, and I think it was because I was his perfect little girl and he and he was also a, a feminist when it came to me and not a feminist when it came to anybody else but he's like by the time you grow up W and J is gonna be co ed and you're going there and you're gonna get a great education and you can do anything you want in this world and I'm totally behind you. Yeah.
1: Why do you think that was that he was so like feminist with you but not with everyone else? I
0: think just just honestly, because I'm his 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 girl child. I'm his yeah. female child. Were you and he the wanted that for me? Were
1: you the oldest of your siblings or
0: I just have one younger brother.
1: Yeah. And I mean does he and your dad get along or is it still...
0: they? Once my brother moved out, there was a long, long Cold War where they barely talked. Yeah. But when they did talk, they would talk for three or four hours on the phone. So they really, really got along about a lot of things. But I think being in that close proximity and my dad being so angry and my brother being a teenager and me being a teenager and our mother not being there yeah. and him being just that, making him more angry. It just put us all in like, our worst possible shape.
1: Yeah. Cause I was listening to your story and like, I was shocked that you and your brother went to live with your dad and not your mom. Like, why did that happen? Why? Well,
0: well part of it, well, it, it was mostly due to finances because yeah. well, it partially finances and partially my dad's will. So the financial part of it was my mom had just finished grad school and gotten her was getting her certification in school psychology and she had a ton of student debt and was working at CYF as a caseworker in the adoption department and coming home crying every day (laughs) because it was so sad to work there. And she had moved out and my parents were divorced and she had a little apartment up on Grandview Avenue on Mount Washington that was just so much fun to hang out with. (laughs) So she had space for us, but she didn't have the money. to take care of us plus the nature of my parents marriage was in such a horrible state that when she left she's like i am not taking a single thing that i didn't come into this relationship with because i don't want any strings between us i don't want you to manipulate be able to manipulate me through stuff like child support you know alimony things like that yeah and at the same time he made it very clear to her that he built this house for the family and it's been our dream for all these years and I'm not moving out there by myself yeah so he pretty much told her how it was gonna be and she was still afraid enough of him and I think was afraid of him all the way up to the day she died January 15th 2009 that she wasn't gonna mess with that yeah. so are they had a thing called long distance back yeah then.
1: yeah <laughs>
0: so you can imagine what it cost from, and my dad gave me my own phone on my own phone line in my room so I could talk to whoever I wanted to whenever I wanted to, and he never once complained about the phone bills, never once, to his credit. So he could be, the, more, the further I get away from that time and the more compassion I've built for him being in the state he is now and the more I look at the family he grew up in and my parents' marriage and things that I saw him do and things he did for me, the more I'm able to see how much he truly loves me and Eric and my mom, even though he was terrible to her, um, and how much he wanted but couldn't give to us because of his own family upbringing. So there's all of this mental health stuff that was never resolved and family issues. And I really think that made him into somebody that was really, really hard to deal with. I don't think he wanted to be that way. He just didn't know how any other way to be. Yeah. He installed that phone line, and I talked to my mother for like an hour on the phone every day, and and I'm we'll Just give her the scoop about everything and just... Just, We were so close, Uh and I told her the kind of mother she was to my friends, so imagine the kind of mother she was to me. She was my support. She was my everything. So being away from her, not living with her throughout high school, which is one of the most horrible experiences anybody has to survive, was awful... Especially moving, like I said, I became pretty resilient from moving during my dad's building his career. Yeah. But after my parents were divorced and I moved to that last new school, which was 10th grade, I was like such a mess myself trying to recover from this and being unhappy at home with, and my mother's not there. And like, nobody wants to be unhappy. We all want to be happy, but my parents never should have been married and they shouldn't have stayed married and it's really hard to say whether they should have gotten divorced sooner or not but all i can say for sure is they never should have been married to each other and it was very impulsive decision on their part on both their parts because they both wanted to escape certain parts of their own families so they found each other and got away so that was a a a a short solution (laughs) an easy solution with lots of long-term implications that were not good so Um, my mom was on my lifeline during that time. So I never went through that, that like bitchy period with my mother where I'm being like really shitty to her because I'm trying to separate myself and be my own person because she was like keeping me alive mentally.
1: She was helping you through those hard times. Yes.
0: She was amazing. So I never went through that with her. So then I went, when I went through that very normal period with my own children, I'm like, what the fuck is this?
1: Oh, your, your kids had like that rebellious type of attitude towards you or,
0: you know what? They were so, they were, yeah. Here. Okay. So I'm going to brag on my children. So they are (laughs) such wonderful human beings. They were both very academically oriented and into all kinds of different activities, had a lot of interest in different things and they picked really solid friends. And we gave them nothing to rebel about because we trusted them. We loved them. We believed them. We taught them the right, what we thought was like that we, here, we're telling you how things are going to be and things that are, you're going to face in your life, and we trust you to do the right thing if that happens to you because we've taught you well, yeah. and we're trusting that we're, that we, our message got through, and you're going to be okay because that's what we do as parents. We want to teach them how to be good human beings, good citizens, good mothers, fathers, partners, children. Employees, employers, everything, so that they can have good and happy lives. So we worked, Tim and I worked really hard on that. So I don't think either of them were even ever grounded. Really? I always knew. They had no curfew because I always knew where they were. Yeah. You know, like uh, it just wasn't an issue. The only thing that was, was just like just a little bit of pushback on small stuff, you know? Yeah. Or things that maybe had more to do with unresolved issues from my family of origin that would be just a little tiny teenager pushback from them but I would take it as like a stab in the heart and, I'd, and yeah. I'd be like wait my reaction is so out of proportion with this situation right now this is about me not about them yeah so no honestly we never really had that huge rebellious thing because because they didn't need to rebel we didn't give them we just Anything to rebel who, about? Yeah. Right, we let them just be who they were.
1: But you weren't like just like you didn't care. You weren't like no. You weren't like completely like shut out of their lives.
0: No, we're like I said, freakishly close. Oh, yeah, always have been. That's a
1: beautiful thing. But
0: they just came over this morning at ten o'clock. We made Tim bought tomatoes at the farmer's market. We got all in our little production line, and we just made like our our fall sauce. Really? And then Jillian went off to a bachelorette party, and Alexander went off to some party that he's going to tonight. Yeah. And, um, you know, and we rehashed my, my birthday party last weekend and who said what to him and what was their favorite part and Aww. what was really stressful and what was and we, we just like connected about everything that last week was a crazy week for all four of us. So we each had our little, actually Tim didn't say a whole lot. You know what? <laughs> Often Tim doesn't say a lot because he can't get a word in.
1: Oh really? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs>
0: poor guy. Yeah. He's got plenty to say. But, yeah. but he's, like, also happy to listen to us and, like, just catch up and everything. And he'll say, like, wait, I didn't hear that last part. <laughs> say hello. I could be in another room or something. Yeah. So. Um, that's
1: really. That's really great. Because, like, listening to your story, like, I relate to some of it. Because, like, I had a dad. Well, he's still alive. But, like, you know, my dad had had a lot of anger issues. And, yeah. and. Oh, yeah. I can relate to that. He never, he never hit us. He never did, he, like, I think I only got spanked once in my entire life growing up.
0: Me too. Yeah. You didn't have to because you were already scared.
1: Yeah, I was already, like, frightened. And I'm a very non-confrontational person, right. especially growing up, being little. I think my the only thing my dad ever did physically was, like, he grabbed me one time and, like, pulled me into my room. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, like he didn't throw me or anything, yeah. he, but he just had a short fuse. He would just get super yes. mad. And yep. <laughs> and then like he, he went to therapy for a bit and he's also on this medication now. And like, I know he's changed, but they're like, uh, I actually told my therapist about this. Um, not, uh, the session I had with her today, the last session I had with her, like, you know, I know he's changed, but there's these random moments when I am with him and I notice that he's way more chilled out even if he starts to get a little like irritated it's not like scary or anything he's just kind of like remember one time I was in the car with him when we were talking about political correctness and he was just like yeah I don't know you can't say anything anymore but it's whatever (laughs) and then like it was completely different from what he was like 10 years ago where it would just be like oh crap how do I like how do I get out of here this is so awkward he's and there's sometimes like I never cried about it, but like there are times I'm emotional. Like wow, he's just changed.
0: I know that must be so wonderful to see that.
1: Yeah, and like you know,
0: like, wait, you're you're good underneath all that anger.
1: Yeah, and like I could tell, like he was good. Like you know, like my parents got divorced when I was 11, and there's time, and I think I did have told him like you know, like they're so much better as a divorced couple because oh, yeah. they like they get along, they have like the same political. Mostly the same political views, uh, and they just get along. And like I see them get along so much better just as a divorced couple than they were married. But like my dad, even though he did he did have a short fuse, he always did care. Like you know, he just he's he's just a very shy person. And may, and I never really and that's why I'm being kind of resilient, like talking about it, just because like I've never had the chance to like sit down and ask him about certain things about his life, but like. I can just, I've always tell like, he's just a very, very shy guy. Like he's just yeah. painfully shy. So,
0: and, it's, so it's hard for him to talk about that kind of stuff or just to talk about anything maybe.
1: Yeah. And like, you know, I was like thinking like maybe there was something that happened in his childhood, like that caused him to yeah. be that way. Yeah.
0: That's the perspective of age. That is so great. It's like, I, I'm very, my, my belief system is like I'm all about social justice. in fact, I should be wearing my Black Lives Matter band right now, but I took it off when I showered and got yeah. to put it back on but <laughs> I'm, and, and I'm not just people of color but you know queer people, people of color, like all people need to be honored for being human beings and let's yeah. not
1: know, let's, dehumanize de, right let's yeah. not
0: dehumanize people and one of the things about getting older is that people say things do you like? Oh, you're turning 39 again? I'm like, no, I'm turning 60 and I'm yeah. proud. Yeah. <laughs> she says, raising her fists. <laughs> I just want people to imagine. Okay, I'm raising my fist right now. Just so both hard. her fists up in the
1: air, people. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's great. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, like, you know, uh, people shouldn't be afraid to admit how old they are. I mean, like, that's the thing. That was the thing, like, we, I, like, I was told, even like, you're, like, you never ask especially a woman, how old she is. Yes.
0: And I'm like, that's where you, that's why you get comments like, Oh, turning 39 again, because everyone's afraid to ask, or they think if you are turning or, or, or that you are somehow ashamed of your age and don't want yeah. to be your age, but I tell you what, people who have all that work done and I'm not, that's no problem either to each their own. Like yeah. have any kind of surgery you want. That's where we're <laughs> living right now. Like do, yeah. do whatever you need to do to feel good about yourself. Um, at the same time, I'm not really interested in that because I'm—I want to look like myself. I don't want to look like somebody else. Well, yeah. So I'm not really interested in that kind of stuff. Although the culture tries to draw you in constantly. Like, you, you're you too fat. You're too wrinkly. You're too old. You're too this. You you are not relevant. No one is yeah. attracted to you anymore. You are, you are nothing. Yeah. And the older I get, the more I realize, wow, that is such cultural bullshit that's put on all of us. And as far as like sexism, sexism is concerned, it's like sexism and white privilege and gender stuff and the way... M- boys you know or you know identified at birth male identified at birth people and female identified at birth people like the way we are socialized doesn't do any of us any good and that's what's led to like the me too stuff all the violence all of the like white men being angry because they don't understand that they're that they're have have had a lot of privilege because they've not been able to see it from other people's perspectives yeah so i'm all about love and i'm all about social justice because i want everyone to have their fair shot like i see how as an older white woman the privilege that i have i hear that from my clients it's like and friends and other people from other cultures it's like i don't have five family members that were shot at different times yeah almost all of my people of color clients and contacts and friends do it's part it's just part of their world it's not part of my world i'm lucky yeah i'm lucky like and at the same time the only way i feel like we can stop all of that stuff is just to be just remember like we're all human beings let's not let's stop looking at other people as enemies and start looking at other people as other human beings that like deserve to like have a life and to live and raise their children safely and get education and yeah, And I here I am being my flaming liberal yeah. self, which I have always have <laughs> been and always will be, despite what my dad told me.
1: Oh, was your There's, dad conservative? Oh, or?
0: my God. He went from being a Kennedy a, a Kennedy Democrat to a Nixon Republican like the snap of a finger.
1: Oh, really? That's
0: when he got angry. Oh. I'm not, but I don't know what triggered it. It wasn't the election. Something happened. And now I don't have anybody to ask. Really yeah. pisses me off, Alex. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean... Like, my, my parents are conservative, but, like, I don't think that's, like, why my dad got angry. I mean, like, he would get heated about political stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Like, he was, not, he was not a big fan of Obama. Mm-hmm. Definitely. No. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, mine either. Yeah. Uh, uh, I definitely see that, like, you know. I'm trying, even with, like, people who I disagree with to, like, my core, you gotta... I mean, this is just me talking. Like, you can... Like, uh, I'll use a fancy word, poo-poo, my right. words, but just Ooh, like... That was so fancy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm fancy. Uh, but, like, I, I try to see the humanity in all people just because, like, there's, you know, if someone's being an asshole and just saying very ignorant things. Most of the times I notice they're saying that around a group of people, but then once they're, like, their group is gone and right. they're just them and they're just by themselves... They're kind of defenseless. They kind of like.
0: They go back to just being a regular human. Yeah. And I know I'm like that too. I know that conservative people probably like think I'm just like this, like raging asshole for my belief system. At the same time, when I was in my Murraysville office, which was, which was a very, it's a very white privileged area. Privileged I know is is a, is a liberal word to use. Yeah. But it's a very white wealthy area with a really good school system.
1: Where you and, where like where you live now or No,
0: that's where I had my first counseling office. Oh, okay. So I was okay. in Murrysville from 2000 until just this past May. So uh, almost 20 years. Wow. In Murrysville, and it was very very different and the reason my former business partner and I decided to start our practice out there was because living in the east end of Pittsburgh, I could swing a dead cat and hit 10 therapists. There were like no clients for me here. Oh, yeah. But, but out there, they were, you know, the suburbs were moving further and further out into farmland, and they were they were building these McMansions everywhere. So a lot of people commuting from Murraysville and Plum and those wealthier areas, like into the city for, for their jobs. So there was a lot of wealth, and it was very, very, very white. And I learned really quickly that when politics would come up, which they occasionally do come up in counseling yeah. sessions. I don't encourage that. Cause I've, like, this really isn't about that.
1: Yeah. It's about, it's you, about you, you as a human. It's about yeah. me
0: as us as human beings talking to each other that, and I know that most of my clients were conservative, um, uh, politically and maybe, so maybe socially conservative and fiscally conservative, or maybe one or the other. Yeah. And, That was fine because we were two human beings talking to each other, talking about the things we agree on, not the things we disagree on. So I'm not trying to demonize conservative people because I come from a long line of conservative people. In fact, my cousins, whom I adore, are really sweet guys. (laughs) When we go to their house for something and meet like a bunch of their friends, my one cousin will say, oh, this is my liberal cousin, Tracy. No. <laughs> oh, God. And I feel like, oh, I'm on display at the zoo. Am uh, I the first uh, liberal cousin? <laughs> I know. I'm, actually, I am the first liberal and only liberal cousin, except for my brother. Yeah. But if I'm there by myself, well, I am the only. Yeah, you're the only one. That's it. Yeah. 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 I mean. It's fine. It's fine. I feel oh, like it's f- that doesn't bother out. you? Yeah. No, I think it's cute. <laughs> because this is my, my baby cousin. I mean, yeah. he's the th- of three boys, like the... Uh, my aunt and uncle had three boys and so the one uh the oldest one is my age the middle one is my brother's age and the youngest one is about eight or ten years younger than I am wow. and then and he was my dad's favorite my dad like adored him and would always have special like give him special little presents and sp- oh. play special little games with me he just like really loved him loved him yeah because Eric was grown up by then and he wasn't like going to be gonna be able to play with him anymore you know oh yeah so he really really loved this cousin and he was a really really sweet kid growing up with two brothers who probably beat him up I don't know like, yeah I don't you know don't know boys the story do stuff. I don't know but they're good great guys too they're just they're all very different from each other but Chris is like such a sweetheart when he says, this is my liberal cousin, Tracy. I just go like, oh, you're so damn cute. You know, it's just cute. <laughs> you're too
1: much. Yeah.
0: It's like, <laughs> come on.
1: Oh, yeah. That, that like, uh, that's just like the first time I've ever heard something like that. Yeah. Like, you know, like, oh, this is my conservative friend. <laughs> yeah. This is my yeah. liberal friend. <laughs> Yeah. Now talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: like I'm just gonna get a T-shirt with all of the things I am. It's like you know, just like line them all up, you know? Okay, like, here I am.
1: All right, let's cut the sh- let's cut the small talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've had a lot of fun talking to you. You
0: too, Alex. Yeah, it's. I've good. never gotten to talk to you in person this much. Yeah, me. Let's let's yeah. do some drinks or something.
1: Yeah, I I am not a drinker, but I would love to sit down and talk to I'll you. Drink.
0: I drink tea and coffee as well. Oh, and hot chocolate is really good That's oh hot chocolate is awesome once do, it gets let's colder yeah let's no, it's too hot now too, too hot.
1: hot but yeah let's get coffee sometimes seriously yeah I love to talk about all of the anxiety and all all the stuff but seriously it was nice to talk to you and learn a little bit about your history it was really nice
0: thank you yeah and I, I'm sure I, I always talk too much so hey sorry everybody uh, no you
1: gave good stuff though you're, oh, good. you're very open there are sometimes people who are very just like yeah I don't want to talk about that Steph, you're yeah. very open to talking about it, so
0: thank you. I was just wondering if there were any questions I didn't ever actually answer because I was giving too much backstory, which I tend to do. Yeah. And here's the problem with having the mother I had. Um, <laughs> she would listen to every detail. Yeah. And I, I, I like, Well, if she had I was kind of wishing she had reined me in a little bit more and maybe I still wouldn't be talking that way. Yeah. <laughs> but my kids will sometimes be like, Yeah, I'm, mommy, we heard that part, just like cut to the chase, okay? And be like, <laughs> Got it, sorry.
1: Oh, uh, I do this. I do the exact same thing when I'm trying to like tell somebody about something. I add so much detail, where you go like this. Like you once can I like see it. You once can see I get
0: right in front of you because yeah, you had all the detail. You know,
1: yeah, it's right in front of me. Like especially with like a text, I go like I really didn't have to like do all that. <laughs> I just so I'm, like oh yeah, this happened. or I go like oh no 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 no, they came over and they they were playing with this stuff. Blah 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 blah. And they're
0: orange. They're wearing their orange shirt.
1: They're wearing their orange shirt. Remember the orange shirt? Yeah, they were wearing that. And then they told me the thing you just wanted to know. That's yeah. the only thing. <laughs> uh, crap. Okay. Yep, that's me. Yeah, we were late in so many ways. All right. Thank you so much, Trace. Thank
0: you, Alex. It was a pleasure. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to Unplanned Comedy Pods, a podcast collection.